0: Everyone. Yes, I am your not so special speaker this morning, but I'm I'm Terry Burns, the elder. So uh, I. Yeah. 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 (laughs) This is our I think our third summer that we've had opportunity to share the word with you. So uh, introductions are probably not necessary. But I I'm blown away by today. I mean. We are into something holy here this morning and I I drove in this morning and headed for the prayer room and you know There were you know a dozen faithful people connecting with God and and wherever there's a a group of people like that praying uh, a church is going to receive a lot of its health and strength uh, from that prayer gathering And and I trust people are praying everywhere for your church, but then to have Melanie and Daryl share their lives with you today. Um, that that was a holy thing. And I think the older I get, the more I'm looking for real. I don't know about you, but I want real in my home and real in my relationships. And I certainly want real at church. You know, so if somebody walks in, I don't, I don't know if there's any visitors here today, but you you could walk in here this morning and you and you could look at this place and, you know that Life Center does so much well, and uh, I mean you have first-class everything. Everything is done with excellence. But you might be asking yourself the question: But are they real? They're so good; they they almost seem surreal. And uh, what we're experiencing today is is real. The other impression that I have in my heart today is: as we take a few moments, I, I won't go on forever today. But I just feel that you folks are so pregnant with amazing things that God is going to do. I mean, we, we are now through a, a very difficult season of church life, and uh, we're, we're not going to dwell on that. We don't want to talk about that anymore. I think we all want to talk about the future. And one thing that I'm, I'm feeling today is that there are great days ahead for this Kanata campus. I, I just, I think things are just awesome. I love your series title. You know, we're going to look at spiritual conflict again this morning. If, if I was planning for a summer series, um, you know, we might have a tendency to do something that's church light. And when we look at spiritual conflict, um, that's a, a pretty serious subject. But based on what we're going to walk through in our next few months and, and years together, we need to understand what's going on in the invisible realm. It may be happening in the invisible, but it's very much not imaginary. It's real. You know, um, Melanie mentioned the scripture from Ephesians 6 this morning. And, you know, we recognize that as part of the teaching on on the full armor of God. But she, she made mention of the fact that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You know, people are never our enemy. Uh, Sometimes they look like the obstacle, but there's always something in the invisible realm that's infecting the visible, affecting and infecting the visible realm. And there's a description there of a very structured order. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And if you're a good student, of the Bible, and of perhaps of the original languages, there's a there's an order there, very highly organized, very efficient to some some extent, but it's very real. It may be invisible, but it's not imaginary. Well, we're going to weave some of the the teaching from a book called "The Three Battlegrounds" into some texts that involve the life of Peter today. I'm going to read a launching off couple of verses. We're going to turn together to Luke chapter 22 and verses 31 through 34 as our launching off verses. So if you have your Bibles today, your cell phones, your iPads, whatever it is that you're you're into. And by the way, there was there were some teenagers in that room praying this morning. You know, and I have I have a strong memory of of my children's upbringing in a little town called Petrolia. 120 children when there was you uh, meet you at the pole. 120 high school students showed up at the poll to pray for their school and their town. And it was led by two young people that, that had a, a, a ministry that, that was, was very powerful. And so, 10 teenagers praying for a high school can change a high school, a city, and a nation. So, keep up the great work. Let's read our launching off verses together. And the Lord said... Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And I want to ask you a serious question before we go to prayer over this word today. Is your faith ready for your ministry future? Is your faith ready for your ministry future? Lord, we've already stated and agreed that this is a holy morning together. Lord, let that sense of holiness come upon this time of teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey this morning. We're going to look at a challenge to Peter's faith. We're going to look at his temporary failure in the realm of faith. We'll look at his restoration, and then he's going to have some words of wisdom for us as we make sure that our faith is ready to endure the future of our ministries. As we survey chapter 22, and you can do that on your own this week, the apostles had every reason to believe that there were great ministry days ahead. They had been promised places in the future kingdom where they would uh, be overseeing the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and we know that the apostles used to love to debate who, you know, would be the most powerful, the most influential, who should sit at the right hand and the left hand. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine Peter being right there in the, in the middle of that. But now Jesus turns to Peter in what I consider a very difficult conversation. It's always one that has troubled me a little bit. Simon, Simon, Jesus said, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Little technical thing that we all need to be aware of this morning, that in verse 31, in the original Greek, the the writer is suggesting all, y'all if you're from Texas. So he's addressing Simon, but he's saying, all of you need to understand that Satan desires to have you to sift you as wheat. And so uh, we know a little bit about agriculture in the Bible. And so when wheat is being threshed, it's either done on the threshing floor, thrown up into the wind, and the chaff separated from the wheat, or they use a sieve in smaller scale farming, and, and the things that are impure about wheat are removed, the chaff, and what's left is the wheat that is absolutely useful. That's what's taking place here. So if what is true about the apostles in the first century is true of us here sitting in Life Center Canada this morning, Satan still desires to sift people as wheat. He desires to have them. He wants to separate the things that are good about our faith from the imperfections. He wants to put on a demonstration before people that our faith isn't as strong as we tell people that it is. Satan wants to have this entire group, y'all. And now Jesus turns to Peter again, and we revert now to singular, and he says, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And let's think about that for just a moment. Faith. I'm very comforted by the fact that Jesus prays for me. I mean, he's our great high priest. He's interceding for us continually. I think we have a a, a guarantee here, a promise, that as long as we're we're submitted and we're working, that Jesus is interceding for us. And ultimately, no matter what happens in the future, our faith will never be eradicated. There's going to be something left of it, no matter what the trial. When I hear this conversation, I've already let it out that I'm a little bit troubled by it. I've always been troubled by it. When I read from Job chapter one and chapter two, it's a a very similar conversation. I'm troubled by that one, too. I don't know about you. In chapter one, Satan and other angels are appearing before God himself. And God wants to brag on one of his children. And he he points out uh, Job and he says, Satan, do you know that Job is buff? blameless, right? He's, he's blameless. He's holy. You know, he's, he's beyond temptation. He's, he's buff, upright, blameless, upright. I forget what the other F was, faithful. And Satan says, yes, but you've had a hedge of protection around his life. He's he's prospered in so many ways, but, but it's been impossible for me to get to him because of that protection. And, and that's one thing that we all have to remember this morning. When, whenever we're talking about spiritual conflict, whenever we're talking about spiritual warfare, we don't need to worry. Satan is already a defeated foe, already defeated. There's, there's a few cleanup battles taking place throughout the generation, and that's just great. And, and, and I don't know about you, but, but I, I think there's a lot of hints here that our faith is going to be tested over time, probably all of us in some small way or some larger way. But I take such great strength in the fact that my life is usually under that hedge of protection of God. I walk in that confidence every day. Well, you know what happens in in chapter one. His, His family is taken away from him. All that he has is taken away from him. And yet, Job is able to say, the Lord gives and he takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. I hope that's where all of our faith is this morning. Satan comes back in chapter two and he says, after he's left and he's ready for another time of stirring up things in, in Job's life and, and getting God's permission to do so, remember that Satan does nothing on the earth without permission, right? He's, he's got a lot of power on earth. He gets to mess around in a lot of things, weather, and, and all of that hierarchy that we talked about is moved around into position and do things, and some sickness is caused by Satan. And, and you know there's a lot of things that he can do, but he can do nothing without permission. But he seems to be allowed to come back to before God and about Job a second time. And he said, look, you've taken everything away from him, but you haven't touched his health. And God says, all right, you can touch his health. He, he gets to remain alive, but you're going to touch his health. And Job gets very sick with these boils all over his body. And uh, even his wife is ready to give up on Job. I mean, he looks so awful. She says, you know, just curse God and die, right? Wives, never do that to your husbands. Husbands, never do that to your wives. And yet, In all of that, Job did not sin. And God is praying that Peter's faith will not fail. Hmm. And then Jesus, you know, after focusing on faith, and, and we should just camp out on that just for a few minutes today, but when we talk about faith, faith failing, what are we talking about here? I mean, when I hear the word faith, sometimes we think of All right, saving faith, you know, all those good reform things that we know where we we come to a a mental ascent and we give our lives uh, to Jesus and we're regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's, that's faith for sure, and, and I'm not so sure that's what's in question here. I, I think we're talking about, and, and the Greek word here is pistis, and in most places in the Bible, uh, the majority of places it's going to be used in the sense of absolute solidarity, absolute submission to authority, allegiance. I know we've got some soldiers in this place today. We've got some senior soldiers and retired soldiers in this place today. And at some point you took an oath and you said, I will be allegiant. I will be aligned with a flag, a person. Uh, I don't know what your oath looked like, but, but I think that's what we're talking here. I mean, Jesus is now looking for a generation of people and we know the world is going to get more challenging and, and darker even though the church can shine brightly and, and brighter and brighter and brighter all the time. But, but I think now what, what God is looking for and what the Lord is looking for that will be buff, you know, blameless and upright and obedient and allegiant and, and walking in lockstep with the Lord. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. We, we know that's true. Jesus prophesied over Peter and said, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter is about to go into a very dark time. Is, there's going to be a, a failing of his faith. It's not going to be a terminal failure. And yet there's a, the promise, even in that difficult place, that there's going to be a time when Peter, again, is going to be fruitful and useful. He's going to be helping brothers and sisters return. We'll see that in just a moment. And then we we know the rest of the discourse. Peter says, I'm ready to go to prison with you, to die with you, Lord. Jesus says to Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Well, if you look ahead in chapter 22, and you go all the way to verse 54, and I'll just paraphrase just just quickly here. But we have the picture of the denial. So we've already looked at the challenge to Peter's faith. Now we're going to look at that actual failure just ever so briefly. But in verse 54, having arrested him, they led and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. So so we know that Peter is is brave. He's made a great confession of of faith in Jesus along the way. Jesus has already had to say Satan get behind me when Peter was speaking with him because the invisible realm was putting things in Peter's head that he was speaking out loud and and, and Jesus had to put a stop to it in front of other people. So that's how some of this this conflict works. He gets to the high priest's courtyard and he gathers around the fire with the others and and then we know what happens next we've got a young servant girl seeing him sitting by the fire she looks at him and and says this man was also with him but he denied saying woman i do not know him there's the the first denial verse 58 and after a little while another saw him and said you are also of them but peter said man i am not I mean, Peter, the one that cut off Malchus's ear in defense of Jesus. And this is what's happening in his life. He's he's in a very weak and, and dark place. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter says once again, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. I'm going to guess that, that in Canada, when you wake up in the morning, there aren't many roosters crowing. I'm an early morning runner, and I spent my last year in Tbilisi, Georgia, on contract there, and, and every morning as the sun was coming up, I would hear the rooster crow. And, and I'm wondering if we should get that app on our cell phone as a ringtone for the morning. And that would remind us every day, today is a day that I am committed in allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter what, I am not going to fail him with my life and with my faith. I don't know about you, but it hurts me to see Peter in this way. In two of the other synoptic gospels, it says that he cursed and swore. So he used some, you know, bleep, 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 bleep in his language. And, and here it just says that he, he wept bitterly. And I don't know about you. And and again, because this day is real, and I know things are real in your hearts, I, I can think of some times in my life when I wept bitterly over my lack of faithfulness, my lack of pistis, my lack of allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've wondered about Peter's problem, his failure. What caused that? What was, what was taking place inside? And and in that three battleground book that your leaders are looking at, uh, the spiritual conflict problems happen in the mind and the heart and with the mouth. And, and I don't have time for the mouth today. I mean, no church has time to talk about all the sins of the mouth, even if we had years and years and years to do it. It's just a big problem. But, but let's talk about the mind and the heart for just a moment. I think Peter's big problem was pride. I mean we we look at his life. He's he, he's macho, he's got this bravado about him, he's 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 bold and he's confident and he's proven he's proven that he's a strong follower of Jesus with his confessions and with, with the sword and, and, and the cutting off of the servant of the high priest's ear. And I, I think in his mind and and we know that spiritual conflict is, you know, it's they're they're not carnal weapons that we're fighting with. We fight with supernatural weapons, because the things that are taking place are taking place in our mind and in our heart, and Satan is constantly peppering your mind with his voice. You know, we've got some voices going on in our heads, some of you more than others, right? So we've got our own subconscious that makes a lot of noise up there, and the Holy Spirit is definitely speaking to us as we're sensitive to his voice and we're prayerful, but there's also a time when, when Satan or one of his assigned uh, things speak to us, pepper our minds with things that aren't true. They're arguments. They're, they're lofty opinions that aren't true. I mean, we, we've gone through a season of really having a difficult time sorting out what's, what's true and what's not. And I think Peter, in his mind, developed a, a stronghold of belief that he was the most faithful the most allegiant of all of the apostles, and that his faith would never fail, that he would always be able to be aligned with Jesus. I think that's what was happening. And that's why Satan went at that weakness. He put Peter in a position and tempted him in such a way that 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 was his vulnerability, and that's where Satan was able to get to him. And make this, cause Peter to make this demonstration of weakness. I think the second reason of his failure is prayerlessness. If we think about Gethsemane, I mean, how many times did did Jesus have to come back to, you know, those that were praying? He was praying in Gethsemane and, and blood was literally coming out of his forehead. He was praying so intensively and he had to remind his, apostles to stay awake, to stay alert, to be prayerful, and they weren't able to do it. I mean, any, any church, I mean, any individual, if you stay prayerful, you're going to stay safer. Any church, if you stay prayerful, you're going to stay safer. I mean, we want to fill the prayer room with faithful praying. We want to, you know, be online with faithful praying. You know, we want to stir each other up to, to praying. Well, next, Peter is restored. If you're following the timeline of his life, you can move ahead to John chapter 21 with me. And our time is is fleeting, so I'll I'll just make a couple brief comments on this portion of Scripture. John 21, it's breakfast by the sea. And Peter, in his failure, has decided, I'm going back to the fishing business. I mean, Peter was found fishing by Jesus. You remember it back in Luke chapter 5 and, you know... Jesus comes along, and Peter's had a bad night of fishing. I mean, when you fish all night and catch nothing, that's a bad night of fishing. And Peter was a fishing expert. Remember this, the account Jesus said, take the boat out, put down the nets. Master, we've fished all night and got nothing. You're a great spiritual leader, but I'm the fishing expert. But at your word, and off went the boat, and the net was filled with fish. And I'm absolutely of the belief that Fish was Peter's spiritual language. I mean, God talks to us in things that we understand. When I was growing up, it was sports. You know, I just was not that athletic, but I was successful. You know, pucks would bounce off my helmet into the net. I'd score four goals playing junior hockey. I've, if you look at hockey base, hockeydatabase.com, Google my name or check my name and you'll see the weirdness of my success. And I, and I wasn't that athletic, but sometimes God just blessed me through those simple things. And for Peter, his language was fish. So here we are in the future. He's failed. He's going back to the fishing business. How many of us have failed in ministry and said, I'm going back to my former business, or you failed personally. I'm going back to my former way of life. I I did sin better than I do righteousness. Right? Peter's trying that. And because he's an influential leader, others have followed him. And once again, he's fishing and he's caught nothing. Jesus, friends, do you have any fish? Well, they're all embarrassed, you know, especially Peter and James and John, because they're all professional fishermen. No fish again. Throw, cast your net on the other side of the boat, and they do, and the net is filled with fish, and John and Peter look at each other, and John says, it's the Lord. Peter's, you're absolutely right. Off comes the outer garments into the water, and he makes his way towards shore. Fishing is the language, and Peter's of the mind. You know, I might have had a failure, but I believe this is my moment of restoration. And I wonder if a number of you today are at that place in your life where you're ready for Jesus' visit of restoration to your lives and ministries. I know we've got a visitation to that that family of restoration. Couldn't have been more real than this morning. It was awesome. Then the discourse. Peter, do you love me more than these? Hear the way that question was posed? I came to the conclusion through those words that Peter thought he was the most faithful. It became his vulnerability. It became his stronghold. It was a wrong belief. He might have been faithful, but I think it was arrogant of him to say that I would be the most faithful. We don't know who's going to be the most faithful until there's a time of testing. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And he, he didn't say, yeah, I love you more than all these. I, I love you, Lord. You know it. Kind of downgraded his response. I, I like that. He, he learned a lesson or two. And now we learn from the inspiration of Peter's faith, the last text we'll look at today in just a few more minutes, if you'll bear with me. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 to 11. I mean, first and second Peter are written by Peter. Makes sense. The one who made a great confession of faith, the one who failed in his faith, the one that needed to be restored um, in his faith, and now we have some wise words from him. 1 Peter 5, very briefly, verses 6 through 10. Here's his advice to us. Number one, let God be strong and you be humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humility was one of Jesus' top requirements for his leaders. Humility and servanthood. And the message didn't always sink in and he said humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god and there's there's a whole lot there for us to believe in when you see that those words the mighty hand of god it's reminiscent of all of the great miracles that god had done in the people of israel specifically the deliverance from egypt and as we humble ourselves and say All right, we might not be as strong as we think we are in the natural, but in the invisible realm, we're serving a great big God and a wonderful savior in the Lord Jesus. And by the mighty hand of God, by the mighty arm of God, we will enter into any conflict and come out on the right side of things because of God's power, because of what he does in us and through us. It's also a promise of your future promise. Future heaven, future new heavens and new earth. And number two, he tells us, this is Peter now. He said, cast all your care upon him, speaking of Jesus, for he cares for you. I I don't know about you, but I've had some cares in my life over the past few years, some anxieties even. I've spent my last four years with children from two years old to 17 years old. I'm an expert in 13-year-old girl problems now. You want to talk about anxieties and cares and, and literally, I, so in my, in my time of, of you know, being a counselor and, and an academic counselor and getting the high school kids to their next level and doing some teaching and administrating, 13-year-old girls were my major clientele. 80% of my time was helping sort out. we have any 13-year-old girls here today, 12 or 13? Right? Anxiety and cares. And I see your hand back there. God bless you, sweetie. Tough time. There's another one. All right, all right, super. So I'm an expert in 13-year-old girl problems. We can pray later. We can talk later. That's, that's, all, that's all great. All right? Been a tough time for them. They are being peppered. Their minds are being assaulted by what they they hear and see and are told is appropriate for them to believe. We know what we're supposed to believe and kids. It's 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 God's word. It's not the lofty opinions of social elites. You know, silence your apps and open up your Bible. You'll find truth here and your your anxieties will be diminished. You folks are so ready for your future in God. I mean, look at your church. It's like you didn't miss a beat. I heard from a senior Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada official a few weeks ago, where we were playing golf and socially distance golf, of course. And, uh, and he said to me, he goes, I hear great things about Canada. He didn't even know my, my son was part of the leadership team here. I was very proud. But as I've looked at the church in the last couple of years and, you know, we won't get into any debates about who's right and who's wrong. It's been a very difficult time for leaders to, to navigate. It's, it's just, I, I'm so glad I didn't have to do it. But I'll tell you one thing that I think we all need to repent over, maybe not all of us, but it's the fear and the anxiety. You know, we were called to trust God. Even in a time like this, you know, I had COVID. My wife had COVID. The whole country I was working in had COVID. Everybody you'd meet, did you have COVID? Yeah, I had COVID. I mean, we, we got through it. It was serious. But one of the things that I'm very proud of of Mrs. Burns and I, of Terry's mom and I, is that our worry was under control. You know, we didn't run around people afraid. And, you know, we even when we were sick, we were like, Let's let's be Job-like people. You know, the Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we accept the good from the Lord and, and not the, the challenges, not the challenges to our faith? Should, can, can our faith rise above all this even if we got really, really sick? Thirdly, Peter said, wake up, church. I, I did notice a couple people falling asleep this morning. I, that doesn't usually happen when I'm preaching. When I was pastoring full time, there was an old guy used to fall asleep over here. And I used to say, wake up, sir. You're not going to want to miss this. But this topic will put people to sleep. In the unseen realm, sometimes when things are important, a sleep will come over people's lives. I've seen it as a pastor. In the original Greek here, it's not... It's not be watchful and and uh, be alert and, and and don't be drowsy. Switch switch to an alertness. It's like, no, this is an absolute wake up, an absolute wake up. You know, and as I, I think about the images that I've seen uh, on TV over the last you know year and a half and things that have been happening in Canada, and uh, you know the you know when I. The one image I have is of, you know, eight or 10 cruisers picking up one pastor out west. And, you know, you, you don't have different opinions about whether he was right or wrong to to open his church. But I, I know one thing for sure. It doesn't take eight or 10 police cruisers to pick up some Polish pastor. Right. And And, and it's a message to us that in any country you know, we really need to be alert. We need to be involved and engaged and and, and and we need to be involved in the discussion and asking the right questions because Satan is always probing. He's always saying, okay, well, what can I get, get away with? How much faith do they have? How far will they go with their faith? How allegiant will they be to Jesus? And then lastly, resist the devil. Resist him Steadfast in the what? In the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter has described that Satan is like, you know, a roaring lion going around and makes a lot of noise. And that's true. But we're to resist him. And how do we resist the devil? By being increasingly faithful to Jesus. I mean, we we made a lot of crazy mistakes in the church back in the 80s and 90s with spiritual conflict. We got heavily involved in fictional books, and we need to stick to the scriptures. And we were casting this and that out of toys in the nursery and doing all kinds of crazy things. You remember that? My kids remind me of that. You know, you guys did like a whole deliverance thing on My Little Pony or something. You know, and I'm like, I think it happened here, maybe. You know, we were back, you know, a long time ago. But Peter's wisdom to us today is constantly be submitting, you know, constantly uh, aligning yourself with the Word of God, with, with the voice of the Spirit in your mind, being, being fully alert, waking up to what's happening in your mind. Is this my subconscious? Am I, am I getting too prideful? Uh, or, or is this the Holy Spirit? I, I need to pay attention and, and I need to camp out on what the Holy Spirit is whispering into my mind. Or is this just a destructive, useless voice of the enemy of our souls? So if I could just challenge you and, I, and I'm done. If I could just challenge you, let's let's do a faith checkup. How'd your faith evaluation go? Is your faith ready to meet the challenges of your ministry future?